There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is going to the the Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. Morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is uh, Mick Mulcahy and uh, last day in the hot seat before Neil returns on Monday morning. Muppet Show is the big headline on the front of the star today. RTE head sorry over botched 2.27 million euro musical a disaster. The toy panto was doomed from the start and pictured on the front page uh, is RTE Director General Kevin Backhurst. Of course, all of this was before his time uh, and he's pictured walking with RTE Board Chair Shuan Ni Rahalig and uh, this makes a lot of the papers actually. Makes the main headline on the mail front page toy show musical too good to fail. A scathing report reveals positivity around RTE. Stage show was so great that executives did not interrogate the risk as the Public Accounts Committee demands another grilling. RTE's second-in-command Adrian Lynch has questions to answer, say the Mail Today. Over costly flop toy show, the musical, politicians have warned. A scathing 68-page independent report into the project, which uh, lost 2.2 million, uh, found it required RTE board approval, but this was neither sought nor provided. Instead, in that sense, you can't really blame the board, can you? Instead, the production was uh, presented as a fait accompli, and with such an air of positivity uh, that the risk wasn't interrogated. A member of the RTE executive told report authors Grant Thornton. Uh, the chairman of the Oireachtas Public Accounts Committee now wants to grill RTE's board again, while the Taoiseach said uh, he believes RTE executives uh, needed to do better. Ministers stand by RTE chiefs as toy show musical losses escalate. Uh, so says the Independent today. A further €70,000 in costs have been identified. But Varadkar won't call for resignations. Finan Sheen, who we'll uh, speak to later on in the programme, uh, reports that ministers are standing by the RTE chiefs who presided over the toy show, the musical scandal. Losses of the crisis-ridden broadcaster from the flop show have risen to almost 2.3 million. An investigation found no formal approval of the project by the board, as is required, yet the RTE board members who failed to raise red flags are digging in, despite admitting serious offences. RTE uh, moved €75,000 worth of TV advertising money into <coughs> sponsorship for the musical to reduce the losses on the show. Management at the station were more concerned about the damage to the Late Late Toy Show brand than the finances for the show. Well, isn't that the brand they were trying to leverage into uh, cash and bums on seats? A staff member questioned whether the show should be pulled after poor ticket sales following the launch. And a further €70,000 in costs was found by the investigation, driving losses up to just touching €2.3 million. Euro. The musical made just €45,000 in sponsorship, but this was put down as 120000 in the RTE books. It turned out that 75000 was taken from TV advertising uh, revenue. The five current board members who sat on the board at the time and attended board meetings when the musical was discussed are Anne O'Leary, Susan O'Hearn, Dara Hickey, David Harvey and PJ Matthews. Full report uh, from Fionn Sheehan uh, in today's Independent. Uh, the show must go on. <clears throat> Key failures in oversight of RTE's toy show, The Musical. It really is the main story today. Uh, and it pretty much on the mail... Um, 
it's just a synopsis really of what the independent is doing significant contracts committed to without knowledge or approval of the board uh, the project was not appropriately stress tested uh, in all of this they seem to have an inflated uh, opinion in RTE of their own reach and importance and um, that's a huge, huge miscalculation. Travel for treatment. Uh, teen hoping to raise 300 grand for surgery. Sarah Horgan reporting a cork teen who underwent surgery as a child to fulfil her dream of walking. Fear she may end up back in a wheelchair and made struggles to fund additional treatment abroad. Katie Byrne, whom uh, we've had on the programme before, who has cerebral palsy, and her mother, Antoinette Burke, are fundraising to access surgery in Florida to correct a dislocated hip twisted femur and fractured pelvis. Some 300,000 will be needed in total for Katie's travel costs. The Echo has A&E operating 300% over capacity. Uh, The clinical director of emergency and acute care at Cork University Hospital has warned of a massive capacity issue at the hospital's emergency department. Professor Connor Deasy said that emergency department attendances at CUH are up 33% when compared to this time last year. Mr. Deasy said the current environment is dreadful for patients and very difficult for staff. He said there were 45 trolleys in the emergency department yesterday morning, 45 people waiting for an inpatient bed. Uh, There were also 14 additional patients on trolleys in wards elsewhere in the hospital. And these patients deserve to be in a hospital bed, a ward bed, uh, and are there being accommodated on the corridors of the wards to try and create space in the emergency department so we can offload the next ambulance that comes in. So massively over capacity. So we simply have a massive capacity issue, he said. We have a baseline lack of capacity. And at times like this, when you've got a real exponential surge in attendances, we're not e- able to cope with it effectively and safely. How many years is this going on? How many successive governments promise, and they will again in the upcoming election cycle, to have it all fixed and throw more money at it and it'll still be the same in four or five years unless somebody really grasps the nettle. Cabins for crew talking about grasping a nettle. It's not just the, uh, the vulture funds that are buying up houses. Ryanair has bought an entire housing estate for Irish staff. Uh, and I, I chuckle because the, the, the headline looks funny, but it's very serious as well. Number one, that they need to buy these houses. And number two, uh, that they're displacing would-be first-time buyers, I guess. But Ryanair has bought nearly an entire housing estate close to Dublin Airport for use by staff. The airline is taking ownership of 25 of the 28 houses built at Fosterstown Place in Swords, three and a half kilometres north of the airport. The properties are three and four bedroom family homes. The Michael O'Leary run flyer confirmed it closed the deal to ensure it can provide high quality but affordable rentals close to Dublin airport. It's a business decision, I suppose. It had to be done. Uh, your calls and comments on it are welcome. Do you agree? Do you disagree? 0818 on the phone or by text or to our WhatsApp, it's 0868104106. The ex-footy chief in Spain is to face a trial over, uh, over the kiss, the famous kiss. Spain's ex-football chief is set to face trial over his World Cup kiss scandal. Split second, but it seems to have ruined his career. Now it's going to hold it before a judge because a judge ruled yesterday there was solid evidence. The kiss that Ru- Louis Rubiales who's 46, gave Jenny Hermosa, who's 33, uh, strong evidence to the judge this was not consensual. Rubiales grabbed the striker's head and kissed her after Spain's World Cup win over England in Australia last year. Ms Hermoso later filed a criminal 
complaint. We watched that one with interest. A man is jailed for throwing paint over the statue of Luke Kelly. The Independent has uh, a report that a man who threw paint on a Luke Kelly statue causing €240 Euro worth of uh, damage has been handed a prison sentence. Michael Dunn, who's 50 years of age, who was living in a homeless accommodation uh, at the time, pleaded guilty to Dublin Circuit Criminal Court. He had 51 previous convictions. Uh, and finally, Cork City Barber's Eurovision design. A Cork artist has caught the attention of Eurovision hopeful Bambi Thug, who will be sporting his designs on the Late Late Show tonight. Barber and designer Paul Mack is uh, locally renowned for his headpieces and fashion creations, which have graced the pages of publications from Vogue to Rolling Stone. He is currently balancing his work with running his business, the Paul Mack Special Barbershop on Pole Street. Uh, non-binary performer uh, Bambi from uh, Mac McCroom will be wearing Paul's creations, which include a headpiece and corset tonight as they battle it out in a late, late show uh, Eurovision uh, sing-off with the uh, the winner going to represent Ireland at the multinational competition. Call Neil now. 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show at 22 minutes past nine. Now, one of the biggest social and behavioural changes since the introduction of the plastic bag levy, or even the smoking ban, to be fair, is about to go live. The new deposit return scheme. It comes into effect from the 1st of February. That's next week. And we'll see a refundable deposit or levy added to certain drinks containers. So the deposit return scheme has long been an objective of the Green Party, although it's been championed by people really of all political persuasions, so not not just solely a Green initiative. It forms a key part of the current programme for government, and after several years of planning, it's now finally going to go live. From the 1st of February, all PET plastic bottles and aluminium and steel cans between 150 mil and 3 litres will have a deposit of between 15 cent and 25 cent added to them. The 15 cent deposit will apply to containers in size from 150 mil to 500 mil, a half a litre. And a deposit of 25 cent will apply to containers over 500 mil to three litres inclusive. And of course, that will include your uh, your bottle of milk, whichever one you, you look at there. Glass bottles and all dairy products, milk cartons and yogurts, etc., whether plastic or otherwise. And any containers over three litres or under 150 mil are not included in the new scheme, uh, but these should still be recycled by you as normal. And you'll know if the bottle or can you're buying is included in the scheme as uh, it'll have a new return logo on it. Now, Paul Walsh is owner of Three Little Piggies Cafe on Union Quay. Great little spot and very convenient. And he joins us on line one. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. This is brilliant, isn't it? Clear as mud. Oh, it's as clear as mud. Now, this scheme is going live in six, seven days' time. I have yet to get any information from any government body as to what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. Uh, My reps actually told me back on the 14th of December, Paul, today is the last day to register for this. And they go, nobody told me. I went online, registered, and I can apply for an exemption because of my square meterage that I can't store the, the cans and bottles for collection and obviously I wouldn't be able to afford the unit which is 35 grand. Uh, so none of this information has been passed on to me. No, Nobody has been in contact with me. Nobody has told me 
and I owe about anything, only my reps. Okay, a cafe like yours would sell an awful lot of plastic uh, contained drinks, wouldn't they? I, plastic I containers. A, yeah, I have a Coca-Cola fridge inside and we have got a huge range of drinks inside. We sell a lot of them. Um, now, the the idea behind it is is that I my square footage, I wouldn't get to store all the cans and stuff so I can apply for uh, an exemption, which I have applied for and they haven't told me I got it. But what what would the but, exemption mean that you don't have to charge the the extra return? Is it? No, I I, I have to charge the extra, but um, return that I should have sent me out a package at this stage uh, with barcodes and uh, posters that people can scan and it would tell them where the nearest return vending machine is to my location. Uh, okay. Um, as, as you said, these are very expensive and bulky machines, uh, and they seem yeah. to have been the preserve of the bigger multiples. And I'm talking about the, you know the Duns, the uh, yeah. Tesco's, the Aldi's, the Littles, yeah. uh, Centra, perhaps. Um, and, and the upshot of all of this is wh- when you return the bottles. Uh, look, it's a good thing. As, as a guy who loves the water, there's nothing more cancerous in, in, on, on a beach uh, or anywhere yeah. in the water than plastic. Uh, there's an ocean of it out there. Um, and, and so I'm all for, for reducing the, the plastic. But it, I can't see how this scheme is doing anything but sending money from the smaller shops and retailers like yourselves into the arms of the large multiples. Because, for one yeah. reason only, uh, when you put the bottles in, it's not cash that comes out. It's a, it's a voucher of, of sorts. Uh, but that, yeah. can, that can only be spent at the store that bought the machine that you put the bottles into, and that can only be spent there. So th- that, that's, no, that, it's almost that, like a marketing that, exercise for the big multiples. It, it, there's, there's, uh, there's two options, actually, when you get the, the voucher back. You can spend it in the shop towards your shopping, or you can redeem it at the till for cash. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, you can. I, I didn't know that either until uh, a couple of days ago, and this is the problem with information. It's very thin on the ground out there. Now, the one thing I will say, and I've been told this by um, by reps working for quite large companies in Ireland, every single container that goes into these recycling machines, the company, like Aldi, say, they get 2.2 cents per unit. Okay, well, they have to claw back their costs, I suppose. They have to claw back their costs. So basically, if they were doing a thousand units a day in, the, in this unit, they're getting back six grand a year. So if their unit costs them so much in four or five years, they're in profit and they'll be making profit out of it. I, I, now, I read somewhere well, yesterday, Paul, you have to do about a quarter of a million bottles per year to make it profitable. Probably, yeah, but uh, the, the, the units are 10 on the ground as well, Nick. So I imagine these units will be doing quite a volume, you know. Now, one thing that was pointed out to me, and you said it to me there, that you're they're driving business from the small, small little cafes and stuff like that. One thing that was pointed out to me is that if uh, Mick goes into the off-license, small off-license on the weekend and buys his slab of um, Heineken, it's going to cost him €3.50 extra on just the cans, deposit scheme. Now, you go home, you drink your cans, put them in the bag, and if you went back to that small off-license, they'd probably have an exemption, and you go, or they'll say to you, well, we can't take the cans back, Mick, we're sorry about that. What does Mick do? Mick goes into Tesco, puts his cans into the unit there, gets back his 350, and he buys his slab in Tesco. Well, here's here's a case in point. You were saying you can redeem for cash, which I didn't know. 
But who's yeah, who's going to queue up? Who's going to queue up between you know behind five shopping trolleys full of uh, groceries to to reclaim your six fifty or seven quid or something? You you just go and do your shop and queue up to get your shop and take it off your shopping, won't you? You probably would do, yeah. What you know, I'm actually just as I said, information is is very thin on the ground. The government handed it over to this company. Um, the uh, I forget the name again, .ie, whatever they are. Uh, I think it's called Return, isn't it? Return, return, Return.ie. They're running this, basically, the staff are there, everything like that. Um, So it's independent from government, but it is government-owned, let's say. And, I don't know, the money's gone back into the exchequer, I imagine, maybe at the end of the year, if there is a profit. You know, but uh, Return.ie, the information that we're getting is non-existent. We're dependent on social media. We're dependent on outlets like yourself to provide information for us. Or, or we go online and look and see, can we find information on us? Yeah. We, we're, we're actually one of the tops in the world when it comes to recycling. I don't know why this extra confusing process is needed, but Ireland currently has a recycling rate of over 80% for glass. That's why glass isn't included here. We're even sur- surpassing our recycling targets. Uh, so we're very good on that. Uh, but as a result, there's no plans to include glass in this new deposit scheme. Oh, by the way, I, I can clarify one thing, and I was wrong. Milk containers aren't included, as it's a different type of plastic. Uh, and milk products tend to be consumed in the home and are therefore recycled in people's green bins already and rarely end up as litter on the streets. Uh, perhaps we can get to uh, it. Will, will you stay with me, Paul? I just want to bring in Kevin Hurley here, who's the chair of the Cork no Business Association. Good morning, Kevin. Hi, Mick. Good morning. How are you? V- very good. Um, as chair of the Cork Business Association, do you agree with this scheme? Well... Uh, personally speaking, I don't agree with it. I feel that in Ireland we are, as you said, we're, we're top of the charts for, for recycling. I believe everybody is recycling anyway. Um, most stores, um, you know, the likes of McDonald's, etc., have segregated bins now. Um, we're all segregating our rubbish at home. Um, I feel it's a little bit OTT, and I do feel that it's very unfair on um, the retailers um, having to having to burden this. So just to put it in perspective, um, our store out in Bishopstown, the machine is twenty eight grand. We did get a grant of five thousand euros for it. So, but it cost it's costing us twenty three thousand net, and uh, there's no comeback for the government for that. So, look, it is. I, I've no doubt it is going to work. People are going to, you know, they are going to take it serious because it's fifteen cent per can or bottle. And I believe that people will start bagging them up and start bringing them back yep. um, uh, to, to the larger... The same the as they do with glass at the moment. The, the, you know, the glass bottle banks are very well served. Ke- Kevin, t- thanks for that insight. I'll come back to you in a moment because I know you're here to talk okay. about something else. I just wanted in your capacity as chair of the Cork Business Association just to get your... to lean on your expertise, as they say. I- I'll spend a few minutes more with Paul and I'll come back to you, OK? OK, thank you. Thanks a million. OK, Paul, here's, here's what's going to happen, right? A standard 330 mil can of Coke that might have cost 150 will now be 165 your four pack of 330 mil cans of coke retailing at the moment at 490 will be 550 your four pack of 750 mil evian water retailing at 439 will be 539 up a euro uh, a 135 liter bottle of innocent orange juice that sells at 499 will be 524 and an eight pack of 500 mil guinness draft beer retailing for 16 euro will now be 1720 that's a, that's a pretty significant um, pinch on the pocket at the point of sale. 
It is, it is quite a pinch. It's coming on top of all government initiatives at the moment, like, uh, like as you know, cafes and stuff like that at the moment, restaurants, bars, they're, they're all under pressure at the moment. And it's the retailers losing, or the consumers losing out here because it's all been passed on to them. This initiative now, again, again, it's being passed on to the consumer. It's increasing the, the amount of money they have to spend every week. And at times when footfall is down in cafes, bars and restaurants, and this is only fueling, fueling the, the, the situation make out there, you know? Well, it's going to be um, it's going to be quite a convoluted exercise. Well, when when I say that, I, I mean it's going to take a while to get used to. Uh, so, getting your deposit back from an RVM, it, it, an RVM is probably the retail uh, reverse vending machine. Bigger pardon. Um, yeah. They say is easy. Okay, so this is what you have to do: you make sure your containers are empty and undamaged, with the barcode clearly visible. Badly damaged containers won't be accepted, and you'll be stuck with them in your bag. So resist the urge to crush your cans in particular. Uh, your containers don't need to be sparkling clean. Just empty them and maybe give them a light rinse. Washing just wastes water. Uh, ensure you're only be- bringing back PET plastic bottles. I think that's the clear, tough, brittle plastic. Uh, or steel and aluminium cans with a certain size. Uh, they will have, apparently, a return logo on them. Uh, and you can insert your eligible containers into the machine. Uh, it'll then read the barcode on the containers, confirm they're part of the uh, deposit return scheme. You'll then get a voucher for the number of containers returned, and you can present this voucher at one of the shop tills uh, to exchange for cash. But most people, I think, will go and do their shopping and get it taken off their shopping because they're going to be queuing up anyway. Uh, so, uh, just, just, just for consumers to be aware, Mick, there's... there's um there's a period of time though that all the stock will start coming in from the first of next month. There is stock in a lot of the big suppliers and with me and stuff like that and obviously our suppliers have a lot of stock, old stock, that they're not being charged a 15 cents for a can and a bottle that cannot be returned. There has to be a special barcode on it. Yeah. Um, that, that, those, you haven't seen them coming in yet? No, no, no. They'll start coming in from the from the first of next month, I think the major producers are going to start uh, releasing them into the our suppliers. Yeah, so I, I, I guess they're, as they're, as, they're, as they're, the logos they're, are appearing on 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 your supply, you know, with your supply chain, you know, you you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll eventually over the course of a week or two have all your uh, Coca Cola, for it's instance. Going to, for the likes of me, it's going to be a bit messy as to like we'll be charging for some items, other items we won't be charging the fifteen cents because there won't be the proper containers, you know. But make one thing I want to point out, and I hope I, I see this happening, you know, in the likes of Aldi and uh, Duns and places like that. I would love to see a collection box for the receipts for people to donate to charity. The likes of Penny Dinners, Katrina could do it to help, and a few other organisations sent into the Pauling Cork. A charity box next to the return vending machines that if people would like to donate their receipts into it, they can be collected by Katrina and such and uh, redeemed for cash that would help out the charities. You know something? That's not a bad idea at all. Now, the, the, I think, I, yeah, I think Katrina knows she'd latch onto this and, and a few others and go, okay, guys, look, if you don't want your 15 cents back at the till, put it in this box next to us and we get the cash and go for a dinner for somebody or something like that. Yeah, and you could have a box for maybe Marymount, a box for yes, uh, Cork yes, Penny Dinners, yes. etc. You know, not every charity, but the top charities um, yeah. could really benefit from that. And you know something, I, I think if people were able to donate to Cork Penny Dinners or Marymount, they'd be more active 
in in the recycling and, and returning of, of the bottles? They've been looking for yes, them around I, the place. I think if they tied it in with that, um, some of the big, big, uh, like Aldi, you know, Duns, all those boys, big ones. If they tied in with a charity or a couple of charities, definitely it would help. Okay. Always talking sense. Well done. Paul Walsh, owner of Three Little Piggies. How, by the way, just before I let you go, how's business? You're surviving? Business is okay, Mick. Um, last year, uh, we were 15% down last year on the previous year. There was a bit of a fall off towards um, September, October, November. No, it has picked up a bit again. But um, even that 15% talking to other uh, colleagues in business was quite small compared to some others. There were 20, 25% down. People don't realise this. Yeah. All the extra costs and everything like that. Football is down. So hopefully this year we'll we'll have a better year, you know. Yeah, you're on the, you're on the corner of Union Key and Copley Street, I'm right. That's correct, yeah. And we have a couple of major projects starting next to us now. UCC are going to start the college there this year on the old Brooks Houghton site. And I, I, I used to work on that site when it, when it was at Corrigan Shed for Telecom. <laughs> have you seen the digital photograph of what they're putting up there? No, I haven't yet. But would you send it on to us? I got, I got to go to Kevin. He's been waiting for a while. Thanks, Paul. Do I send it on? Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye bye. Sorry if you're keeping you waiting there. Kevin Hurley, uh, owner of Hurley Centra and also chair of the uh, Cork Business Association. Um, of course, with all of the. Uh, pressure that's on business at the moment, uh, predominantly the, the restaurants and hospitality. Uh, you guys have your own trouble as well. A uh, huge report of crimes against property, including theft from shops, Kevin. Yeah, that's right, uh, Mick. Thanks for having me on. Look, there has been reports there this week um, from the Garda Síochána that there was um, a certain amount of increase in crime, uh, robbery, theft, um, assault, etc., etc., throughout 2023. And look, it is evident on the street. Um, I've been on your show, or on with Neil, and I've been on other shows speaking about it. It is a fact of life. Guardi are doing their best, but they're very under-resourced at the moment, and we're just really hoping that that, will, uh, that situation will improve over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, okay. Last year, uh, 2,121 thefts from shops, up from 1,702 reported incidents in 2022. There were 296 incidents of non-aggravated burglary. Is that sort of thing you see on American TV shows happening here? Empty to chill. Give me all the money. Um, I don't think there's very much uh, like armed robberies like that. I think they've, they're, they're more like... Um, break-ins and stuff like that overnight. I've heard of a few central stores getting broken into there last year. Um, but, like, it, it, it is what it is. You can compare it to an American TV show. You can compare it to, to whatever you like. It is what it is. And it's the whole thing in the Cork Business Association, what we're trying to work alongside Cork City Council and the Gardaí in achieving a safer and a cleaner city. And, and that's, that's really our objective. Um, and as a business owner, I, I'm, you know, I'm dealing on, I'm on the cold face. I'm dealing with it every day. Uh, theft of alcohol, etc. Um, you know, we we have security in our stores every day now. Um, it's just part and parcel of, of our of our business plan, and uh, that's the way it's going to be going forward. You know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and where exactly is your your centre, Hurley Centre? Well, we have um, we have six stores throughout Cork City and County. So we have Oliver Plunkett Street, Grand Parade. Patrick Street, uh, Bishopstown. We have two in North Cork in Flamoy and Mallow and we're opening a new store on North Main Street in three weeks' time in the new student development St. Coleman's Court. Okay, I was in one of them this morning buying cakes for the crew. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. A nice coffee as well, I have to say. Uh, let, let's get back to the, the, the return scheme. Are, are, you, are you able to afford a machine in each of your locations? 
Well, we're exempt in uh, uh, three of our six stores are um, exempt because if you're under 1,500 square feet, you're exempt. And I would disagree with your previous caller in that I see the communication has been quite good. If you go looking for it now, we do have a, a retail partner in Musgraves. Um, and they have been excellent. You know, we've been at um, online seminars, online forums. I'm actually going to one on Sunday um, to, to discuss it as well. You know, it's a fact. It's a fact to life that is coming in. I personally, I don't agree with it, but it's a bit like the the minimum wage and the thirteen and a half percent bath. You know, the government throw these things at you, and you just got to you just got to roll with it. You got to roll with it. But you so you, you yeah. will you will have experience down the line of the, of, of the machines. Uh, I think it's important to uh, just in case there's any confusion. That uh, uh, you, you're obliged to redeem or spend the voucher you get at the uh, store uh, where where you return the bottles or cans, but but you're you're not you're not exclusively to buy the cans and bottles there. They can be from anywhere. No, absolutely not. You can buy them anywhere. You can buy them anywhere. And, and what do you think of the the charity scheme? I know we'd we'll have to let things bed in and settle down a bit, but uh, that might be a nice idea to have a little box just to. Get your voucher, put it in the charity box, and feel good about yourself. I think, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, it's a, it's a really good idea. I, from a security perspective, I wouldn't be putting it next to the um, machine because most of them are out by the front door of, of the stores. But in in, uh, in but store, maybe have have the charity in box. Store, absolutely near near the till. I think it's a great idea. Lodge your um, lodge your receipt from your DRS here. And, uh, you know, it could be redeemed by Penny Dinners or, or Marymount or Cork Simon or, or, or Cher or any of those. Really good idea. And are, are the machines you know, designed for indoor and outdoor, Kevin? Or if they're yeah, random? Some of them are the, the, very, the very large ones. So um, in the like Super Value and Aldi, you'll see them. They're out in the car parks. They've built kind of little... Um, shelters around them. Uh, canopy shelters to, to, to hold them. I saw one there in an Aldi recently um, in our store in Bishopstown. It's directly inside the door in the porch. It's a big, I hate to call it ugly, but it's a big, it's not a very attractive looking um, display directly inside the door. But look, it is what it is. And uh, as I said, we just got to roll with it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of honesty here, if I can. Not that you haven't given it so far, but you're the owner of six Hurley Centres. They're, you know, they're, they're high throughput and high footfall venues. And I'm thinking about the small corner shop here. But in your capacity also as chair of the Cork Business Association, I contended that I certainly imagined that this would seem to be an available marketing exercise for the big multiples uh, in that they'll get the footfall from the, the people returning the stuff uh, at the expense of the small corner shop. Could you comment on that? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. I suppose if um, you know, if if I'm if I'm going to the corner shop and I say over ten days I buy ten bottles of water and I have my ten bottles and then I go to Aldi and I redeem the 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 fifteen cents by ten by one which is which is one fifty, then you know chances are I could go into Aldi and spend that one fifty. There's no doubt about that. It's that that's going to happen and could easily happen. Like what what drives me mad actually is the. I, you know the kids' water, the Tipperary kids' water. Yeah, like the small little ones. Boat. Yeah, it's 150 milliliters as far as my as far as I know, and the 15 cent charge on each of those. So I think if a if think they're a 10 pack, they're retailing at four euros. That's going to go up to uh, five fifty, one fifty on kids' water. That seems very very unfair to me. That seems very unfair. But uh, also the, we have the scenario where the small corner shops, many hundreds or thousands of them are now effectively tax collection agents because they got to pass on uh, their 15 cent per unit onto whatever government body or, or onto return itself. 
Yeah, agreed. On our on our system, it's called an uh, OPR, an overall profit report. Down at the very bottom, at the moment, uh, we have the plastic bag levy. Which so when we look at our sales every day, um, we 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 take off how many plastic bags we sold that day because obviously 100 percent of that money is going directly to the government, and this is going to be the exact same thing. So we're tax collecting for um, for the government for, for this, and um, you know it's 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 another. It's another, as I said to Neil recently, sometimes you feel like you're a boxer in a boxing ring with your hands tied behind your back, uh, getting punched at, uh, by, by different things thrown at you by government and, and by, you know, not just government, but, you know, the, the, the economy in general and, and all of that. But look, um, we, we're fighting the fight and we continue to fight the fight. Yeah, I mean, we always have to look for the positives as well. And if, if there's a net reduction in plastic going into landfill, then... And that's a good thing. One final question, because I forgot to ask you. Is, is it true that you have uh, full-time security in one or two of your shops to combat the shoplifting or theft? And yeah. what's essentially yeah, grocery stores? Uh, well, look, they're called what we call high-convenience stores. We're very much based around Delhi, um, uh, what we call high-convenience foods, the likes of, of soft drinks, confectionery, crisps, etc. And then, obviously, we, uh, we sell a lot of cigarettes and, and alcohol. Your breads and, and cheeses uh, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, very very small amounts of those in the city centre. And what level of pilfering would go on there? Well, it, it's a deterrent. So the guy coming up to the door um, saying, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to steal an eight-pack of beer. If he sees one of my security guards in the door, he'd say, do you know what, I won't yeah, go there. okay, fair I, enough. I'll go somewhere else and try it. I, I thought it was the preserve of the, the rag trade and, you know, the, the high-value item retailers, but obviously... Uh, obviously not. Kevin, thanks very much. Uh, owner of Six Hurley Centres and Chair of the Cork Business Association. Good morning to you. Thank you. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. 10 to 10. Uh, Jerry, thanks for holding. You've been collecting cans for the past few weeks. Sorry, hey, Jerry. You know, I just, so, yeah, sorry, Jerry. I, 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 you're okay. I said I'd say my part of recycling, yeah. which I had been doing anyway. But the point I want to make, I was signing um, one of the drama shops there yesterday evening, and I asked one day, one of the girls on the teleboard, and she said that um, the kind of stuff I've been collecting won't be accepted because they have to have an off on the barcode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to anything until the barcode uh, items are, are printed and released. Correct, yes. Yeah. So the cans that I have effectively will be accepted by the machines. That's right, but uh, you, you, you would think, if, if, if they were thinking straight, that they would have already have the barcodes on, on cans now. And, and that a great marketing exercise would have been from the 1st of January. Uh, we, we'll be introducing yeah. these into the market. Save them up, put them away, and and you get some money back on uh, mass when the machine comes to your area. Yeah, but the thing is that um, how many like how many millions of cans and bottles must be in warehouses and in manufacturers and suppliers that still don't have the barcode on them? Like, is every bottle and every can? That's going to be on sale everywhere from the first of February. Are they all going to have the barcode on them? I don't. No, it's a, no, they're not because there's going to be a lot of product in in the supply chain and 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 you know stuff Correct. that's yet yeah. to manufacture had probably has the labels now. Yeah, and I tell you, there must be great money in aluminium and plastic uh, because. 
where you, like, I think this, this is an example of a two-fog system because, like, those tents are going to go for recycling. Obviously, they're a certain amount of, I don't know, the actual uh, break-up, or the, sorry, the breakdown of the tents, like, regarding aluminium and that. But, you know, up to now, the recycling companies have been uh, accepting it, accepting these cans and selling on the material, right? Whereas now, where is that money going to go to? Well, you know, if if you look at it kind of helicopter view, it's a win-win-win situation because the environment wins with less cans and plastic going into landfill. Correct. The, yes, I agree. The, the returner well. wins because they, um, you, you know, they're making a, a, a few bob. Um, and, and that's being paid for by um, that levy. That levy that's in the shop, and the retailer who buys the machine wins because they get more footfall. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a good circle of win, uh, if it if it all works smoothly. Yes, yes, yes. That's correct. Yeah, to be to be modest. But mate, I was in Bucharest many years ago, and then the system over there. Whereby they had uh, plastic, big plastic-sized containers on the side of certain streets, right? And we say you take young people today, they go in and they buy a kind of whatever, right? There'll be a kind of beer or a kind of coke that walk down the street, right? And a lot of these cans end up on the ground, whereas over there they uh, they were put into these containers. The containers were obviously paid for by sponsors um, putting advertising on them. Yeah, I understand. It's been pointed out to me already that the the consumer doesn't win, Mick. They pay a charge. So at best, even if they do the recycling action, uh, they just break even because they're just getting back yeah. money they paid already. And plus the fact that I've been like a lot of the retailers there, I was in the centre shop there recently, and there's this monstrosity of machine there. Now, you know, whereas before they could have food or other retail items there. Okay. So what what are you going to do with the cans that you've collected already? You know what would be a great idea? If they set the machine up... Uh, to take all cans and all bottles to give you the voucher yeah. when, when the correct barcode is there, but to generate a voucher for charity when it's not there. Correct, yeah. We shall make a, like, what, 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 like, the thing about the barcode is, what difference is it going to make at the end of the day? The, the, the whole purpose of the exercise is to recycle. Is exactly. To recycle, you know? Now, if I, if I wasn't conscious of recycling and I swear there are many people out there that want to turn around and just throw away the cans whereas if they could just take, if the machines were there they must be, must be big thing about reading the barcode what's that about? That's to, to verify that the uh, the tax was charged at point of sale and you're just getting it back so that that's to verify that the uh, the voucher that's being generated for you has already been funded in the system. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, there's a, I think this thing was badly tossed up over the end of the day, you know? Perhaps. But look, the vast majority of people in fairness today have become uh, conscious about recycling, and which is a great thing because, 
it keeps the rubbish off the streets and that, you know. But I, I think that these cans should be just taken in and that's it. All right, Jerry. Th- th- thanks for that. What, what, what are you going to do with all the ones you've collected? You're just going to bring them to the normal recycling or what? Well, I just recycle them in the normal way. Yeah. All right. Gotta leave it there. Thanks, Jerry. That's the only choice I have. Soldier on. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks a million. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Now I shouldn't let today go by without mentioning. Uh, the third anniversary of a personal friend. I know she was a friend of Neil Prendival and I know she was very much a friend of the Neil Prendival show. Uh, That fantastic singer, Cara O'Sullivan, uh, passed away three years ago today. One of my favourite funny pieces with Cara, actually, is her appearance in John Spillane's video for The Ferry Arms, uh, where she does the... Um, you know, not taking herself too seriously does uh, does what she does best. uh, Throws in a little operatic uh, sideline into it. Uh, that song also contains one of my favourite lines in rock and roll. Tis Thirsty Works at Christy Burke. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Okay, back to our phone lines, and we have many, many texts coming in on this subject as well. But Jerry, uh, sorry, uh, on WhatsApp we have, sorry, on WhatsApp we have Shane Long, uh, the founder and owner of Franciscan Well. Hi, Shane. Hi, Mick. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Now, everybody has the same cost, so it's coming across the board. It's coming in and uh, something we're going to have to deal with. But it's the consumer, really, who's going to be bearing the brunt of the price. Uh, yeah, it is. So I'm, I'm I'm speaking with two hats on as a producer, but also as a bar owner. On the bar side of things, we've we've taken the decision to to take cans out altogether. Um, just the, the hassle of getting them to a, a centre that will take the uh, the deposit back and they have to be in pristine condition, etc., etc. And just decided, right, we're, ju- we're just going with bottles. And if, uh, if a producer doesn't have a can, unfortunately, it'll be delisted. Okay, so the, it's, it's not every pub sells cans. Are, are you talking about soft drinks no. or are you talking about your own product? Both. Um, so we would, have, we would have a dedicated fridge for canned beers um, and we do cans of soft drinks as well. Um, but we've we've made the decision now that once that stock is gone, it'll be bottles only. And is that because you would have to pass the price on, uh, thereby making yes. the product seem less attractive, or is it too much yes. uh, too much hassle uh, facilitating Absolutely. the scheme and repaying? No, no, it's the cost. It's the cost. I mean, everybody's struggling at the moment with the with the with the uh, cost of living. So we we have to give value to our customer, and I don't view that uh, increasing the prices now is, is is the right way to go. Okay, so for the small producer, it's going to be much more difficult. It's much more expensive to bottle things instead of put them in cans, I would think. Uh, it, it, it depends whether a producer has a canning line or, is, or they're getting contract uh, canners to come in. Um, but people will just, we knew this was coming, people will just have to adapt. Okay, and as regards your can business, it's, it's just the pub you're removing them from, is it? Yes. So that means uh, anyone who likes your craft beers or whatever, they can still get them in the shops? Absolutely. Albeit at the 15 cent extra price? Yes. Okay. Um, What do you make of the number of collection centres? I'm not across how many there are going to be. I've heard that there are some in the big multiples around the place. Not sure if if they're fully populated yet. Um, But would there be relatively few collection centres to entice people to, to recycle these products? 
that's that's one of the reasons why we're we're delisting cans in the in the bar that there there isn't uh, there isn't many recycling places. But that it's not the government's fault. It's people have just decided that they're not not going to engage in it. Yeah, so the, there isn't the buy-in from certain retailers. There has obviously been from the supermarket multiples. Yeah. And it, it, is, is it something that, that would entice you to have a machine? Or are you just staying away from the whole concept? No, no, no I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the space, so no. Yeah. We're, we're not going down that route. All right. Uh, quick uh, plug for Franciscan Well. How many are you employing now? There's 20 in the brewery. Um, and then the overall team in Ireland is 70. Okay. And going from strength to strength? It is. Um, 20, half of my life has been spent in it now. Um, I'm over in Tenerife at the moment. We're rolling out Shannon Stout in, the, in, the, in four of the islands here. Okay, and, and which bars? I know the Irish bars, but which ones in particular? Oh, Grandy O'Donnell's, um, Wild Geese, we're, in the last three days, picked up 17 accounts. Okay. Uh, there's huge Irish bars there, like the, the Gaelic Corner, the Chieftain, the Temple Bar, the Fiddler, many of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're so, approaching uh, them all, are you? I, I, I'm pitching them all. I, I'm living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> over, over, over in the sun, just to find my, my, my worth. Yeah, have you got a guy called Chris with a, a long sort of a smeg? Likes motorbikes. Works for you. Yes, great guy. <laughs> okay, great guy. I know yeah. him. Yeah, I knew he worked in the, in one, one of the breweries. Yeah, great character. Uh, yeah. All right, thanks a million, Shane, and best of luck. Best of luck in Tenerife. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. Let's go to Dennis on line one. Hi, Dennis. Yes. What have you got for us? All right. Hi, Mick. There's, um, yeah, so basically when I was listening about the deposit uh, return scheme, I I was thinking that it all seems to be about punishment for the consumer and the retailer as well. So, for example, when you're, does, does a price being put on to the product, so there's excess money you're going to have to pay out at um, the point of sale, and then you're getting a receipt just giving you your money back. Let's say products like um, cans and food tins, they're minerals. You have anim- aluminium and tin, and they're worth money on the market. And that instead of just getting, you know, having it confined to a retailer, if you had a private company or local authority where you would have your machines, but to be separate from the retailer, and that you would have an account. So like, like shares, that you would have, when you deposit your um, your product, that then goes to your account and it can add the weight of that product and over time then you actually end up, and you could generate public KGs and then public KGs of aluminium is worth money. So you're actually earning a profit, the consumer is getting a profit as opposed to actually being, you know, getting their own money back. And the incentive to do that would far outweigh what's there at the minute and even the rhetoric about it, you're being incentivized, you're investing in the environment environment, as opposed you're being punished to help the environment so do you see where the, the rhetoric is going I, and yep. all of that, that it, would, it would be far more um, I suppose beneficial for the consumer and it would alleviate the, um, the current conundrum with the retailers Right, so uh, I'm just thinking the rationale behind all of this, you, you're buying a product for consumption that, that product yes. is toxic to the environment, be it plastic, uh, metal or aluminium. You kind of don't want it in landfill uh, anymore. So, right. f- so for the use of the product, for the day or two days of the week uh, that you use it, you pay a rent of 15 cents. And, and then when you bring it back uh, so that it's uh, protecting the environment, you get your rental back. That does seem overall to make sense. 
that um, yeah so instead of basically whereby you're being charged extra you're getting the actual well you're getting the retail value of that mineral so aluminium so for example if you were to look at it let's say like shares if you buy a share that share on its own isn't may not be worth a whole lot but if you buy shares multiple shares over a period of time and then sell them they're worth money based on the, um, what they're valued at that moment in time so with let's say like aluminium aluminium is if you hey, will just say a ton or a couple of kgs of aluminium and you were to take it to a scrap merchant in Cork you will get money for that the, um, where, so if you basically then have your account with, uh, with a company and you sub put through your food tins and your beverage cans and, that, um, and each time then it clocks up what the weight of that can is over a period of time you could have we'll say 10 kgs of yep. aluminium um, based on a can and then 10 kgs of aluminium on the open market is worth a certain value and so that is money that you would be paid then into your account for that that you would have deposited. So therefore, you're actually making a profit as opposed to just being given back your own money that you were charged and you feel like, oh, hang on, I'm actually, you know, I'm benefiting the environment and I'm making money at the same time. Hooray! Whereas at the moment, it's like, oh my God, I'm getting charged extra now again to go and just, um, you know, to recycle and to follow, this was government um, environmental policy and I'm not really that invested in it. So the um, and that could work for products like batteries, lithium batteries. They do have a certain value as well. And as I know, there's like in Northern Ireland, just from brief um, research there that I did, there's a company and they do that. They actually, for let's say schools, for um, individuals, whatever, they would provide you with like a bin, you fill that up, and then they will actually pay you for how much weight you have then per um, kg of the aluminium um, from the can. Yeah, that's, that's at and, the education um, part of the cycle, but in you know, at the user part of the cycle, while your idea is very good and has great merit, it would probably very be very hard to oversee. That, um, it depends on if you got, let's say, like, as far as I know, that I'm um, just from, I saw from years back, I think, let's say, everything, let's say, if you go to the local, your bring site, and you deposit aluminium cans, and um, proteins, everyone's like, well, on did, I think it would have the highest value, whereas things like cardboard and paper would have a very low value. So, Again, I couldn't say for sure, but I imagine the local authorities do make um, a certain amount of revenue from um, recycling, basically, those um, minerals. So that, um, that would be in, used in food tins and beverage cans. So if there is a profit to be made, wouldn't it benefit the consumer to actually get that profit as opposed to always being someone else? And then the consumer feels a lot more invested and part of the recycling initiative as opposed to, you know, to be a lot of more carrot as opposed to a lot yeah. of stick. All right, Dennis, that, that, that's a pretty good idea. And just in case people think that these don't get recycled into anything, uh, there's a bank in New York which is built out of 20 million cans. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, so you see, there's, um, so it's, you know, it's good that um, everything that you can see and in product too to your efforts of recycling, you can see, okay, that, that happened because I did this. And, you know, just to bring people along more into and have people more invested in recycling and in benefiting the environment rather than just always feeling that we're suffering because the, um, we have to do this for the environment. It's just yeah. changing the narrative around it and encouragement, you know, rather than always, you know, kind of um, incentivizing people to do 
um, to participate in environmental um, projects. All right, Dennis, thanks a million. Uh, thanks for your contribution no this morning. That's melted down cans, by the way. Don't be smart. They're not sellotaped together or anything like that. Let's go back to our WhatsApp line and to Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, can you hear me? I can, yeah. You, you've been using these machines for the last 15 years uh, where they exist in uh, Aarhus in Denmark. Yeah, we we have them all the time, but um, I've been listening online and I can hear there's actually a lot of differences because when we bring them back, we can actually redeem them and get cash paid out. Yeah, you can do that here as well, which was new to me this morning, but apparently you can, if you go to the uh, the till, the checkout, uh, you can, you can yeah. redeem it for cash, but... To do that, you've got to queue up with other shoppers and may not be worth their while. So I think the multiples are banking on the fact or gambling on the fact that people won't queue up to cash in a five or a 750. They'll go and buy our products and they'll queue up and get the voucher back off their bill. Yeah, yeah. It's the same here. If, if there's customer service and there's no queue, I'll just redeem it. Or yeah. if I do my shopping, then I'll just use it to redeem it from the shopping. Okay. Do these machines uh, break down? Are they reliable? Um, I don't think they break down, but um, example on the weekend where it's really busy and there's a lot of people, then they get stuck and then you have to wait for someone to come and empty it and sometimes you just walk away with the with the bag, with the cans and come back another day. Yeah. So it's the inconvenience, not that they break down, but that they just, they just get, get stuck. And one, one yeah. of the staff members comes and clears them and... Yeah, you could be waiting a while. <laughs> so there's no panic about using these machines. They're quite user-friendly and kind to use. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, in the city, in some areas, they have um, designated areas. If you don't want to use them, the homeless can come and pick them up. Or um, in our local shop, our local football team and handball team, they collect. So you can also just throw it in a basket for them and someone from the local club will come and spend an hour and pant. It's called pant. And we'll pant it for you. Yeah, because there could be some very novel collection ideas around here for clubs and uh, and things like that and for yeah. ki- kids initiatives yeah a lot of the youth um, also there's a lot of concerts and festival and if they're having a beer on the way to the festival you'll see a lot of kids out on the road before like if you imagine going up Parky Cueve and a lot of kids will be there with little trolleys or I don't know the football club and then you would just give it to them it's mostly the kids and the homeless that would collect the ones that are out in nature or you find on the road or yeah yeah, I, I saw a gentleman yesterday morning across from the uh, the, the boarded off, uh, not being built on yet. I think there's planning issues there. The Rochestown Inn. There's a lo- lovely little green area there with a couple of um, uh, park benches. Uh, and I saw a guy collecting rubbish there yesterday morning. And I'm not sure, is is it a, you know, a kind-hearted resident or perhaps uh, the business owner of the nearby Cinnamon Cottage. But I thought it was a lovely uh, thing to be doing early in the morning around half seven. Uh, to be out cleaning up that green area because people do deposit rubbish there. Uh, may- maybe a lot of that would be recyclable. Yeah, it's it's the same here. They have a lot of cleaning initiatives and um, because we're really close to Germany and the border, I heard the gentleman say about the barcodes and they can't read them. When when we buy from Germany because it's a lot cheaper, there's no barcode, but the machine will still take them and recycle them. It's just if I brought 20 cans and 10 were from Germany, I'd only get money for 10. Yeah, but I think I think the machines here will be the same. They will accept uh, yeah. the material if the material is right. But the barcode not being on a particular bottle or can won't generate uh, won't generate credit to your voucher. But it'll still accept the recycled material. Yeah, exactly, and it's the same here. But it's also for fizzy drinks and um, for juice bottles. It's also plastic. 
Okay. And there's, um, there's different letters for the amount of um, money you get back, the different sizes. Okay. Uh, and a very novel idea, your, your kids get pocket money from collecting bottles and cans. Yeah. So uh, on Friday or Saturday of the weekend, if they want to... Uh, if they want some extra pocket money, so we go for a walk. We have the equivalent of the line in Black Rock, and we take a walk, and they take a little bag and whatever they find, and then they'll just bring it and cash it. <laughs> right, and in some cities, apparently, they have areas where you can leave your empties for homeless to collect, or uh, supermarkets have areas where you can donate it to local kids' sports groups. Uh, just it, really what you're saying is this new system will just take a bit of getting used to. Yeah, exactly. It's And it, you just get used to it, and it's just part of everyday life. You're from Cork originally, Jacqueline. I am, and I want to say thank you because I actually got a paddy box and it arrived on Christmas Eve. Oh, serious? <laughs> from this programme? So yeah, from, from uh, Neil, so my girls were delighted. It arrived just on Christmas Eve. Oh, uh, we, we aim to please. How long are you over there? Um, I'm 15 years now on the 2nd of February. And do you come home much? Um, try and get once a year, usually in October, November. Speak the local language? Um, I do. I'm, flu- I'm fluent in Danish. Fluent. You, you don't have a strong Cork accent. I think you might have an evaporating Cork accent. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Thanks a million, Jacqueline. Yeah. Okay. Oh, can I say happy birthday to my sister, Kira? It's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Kira. Happy birthday. And thanks a million. Thanks, Jacqueline. Jacqueline Chantry Bye. there. Uh, who's in Aarhus in Denmark. Thank you very much. Uh, we got some uh, texts on the return scheme. The deposit return scheme is the death knell for small and local shops. It'll move money from small shops to big supermarkets. It's also a new quango, says Paddy. The return scheme will lead to more waste in shops with the machines. When the machine spits out less than pristine cans or bottles, who's going to take it back home with them? No one. Uh, the can or bottle will be dumped next to the machine or dropped on the floor or dumped on the pat outside, uh, pathway outside the store. Watch and see, says Pat. I and tens of thousands of others just needed to walk to our glass bottle bin and do our bit. Now tens of thousands have to drive to their nearest machine. Well, the machines don't do glass, Texture. Uh, where's the green incentive in that? Uh, why is it only the large supermarkets who have these machines? And why are the public being penalised to return used products to the manufacturer? They should reward us for this service. Basically, it's nothing more than huge corporate entities tightening up on profit and nothing more, says John. The bottles and cans going into the machines have to be in pristine condition and bone dry. Uh, try and dry a can or plastic bottle without damaging it, says Paddy. Another texture says, what about the small bottles of water for small kids and normal size packs of 24 in super value? How much now? I told my kids they'll have to use reusable water bottles. I'm not buying plastic bottles just for them not to bring home. Uh, 24 500 ml bottles at 25 cent extra each. Uh, work it out. That's not, uh, that's not going to um, be feasible for too long. Uh, and then again, maybe, um, Texture, maybe, maybe the program is working. If you're not going to buy plastic bottles and get your kids to uh, use reusable water bottles. That's a win anyway, isn't it? Uh, could cafes return the empties themselves after sit-in customers finish their drinks? Therefore, they wouldn't have to pass the levy on to the customer. 
The cafe can then return the empties and get the refund. Hopefully, uh, says a texture, it will make people rethink buying drinks in plastic bottles. Uh, they're such a waste. I don't understand people who make use of reusable water bottles, uh, who don't make use of reusable water bottles uh, these days. I got one recently uh, that keeps drinks hot and cold. Uh, got it, uh, friend, uh, my brother actually brought it back from the States. It's a Yeti. And you could make a cup of tea at half seven in the morning and uh, as you finish the Neil Prandival show, it's still, I won't say hot, uh, but it's warm. Same with cold drinks. If you're having a drink and you put ice into it, the ice would still be there in the morning. And you use it over and over and over again. By the way, um, I checked in two of the local service stations uh, with this Yeti cup uh, and in both, without even asking, uh, I got, uh, I think I got 10% of the price of the coffee uh, without even asking in both places for having a reusable cup. Uh, so it's worth it as well and pays for itself over the course of time. Now the texture says, what happens to the deposit money if the bottles aren't recycled? Who makes the profits? There's a lot of people making a lot of money saving the planet. The only litter I see is the 500 mil convenience bottles and cans. I can't make out why they need to add the deposit for the larger two-litre bottles because 99% of people recycle them already. Genuinely, how many bottles that size would you see littered on the streets? That's a fair point. You don't see the big soft drink bottles littering the streets. It's only the one, uh, you know, couple of swigs uh, reusable, one-use ones, I beg your pardon, that you see littering the place. Uh, nearly there with the text. Hi, Mick, the plastic bag levy was a con. All that happened was the sale of black bin liners quadrupled. I remember reading at the time that a company producing them had to put on extra shifts, including nights, to meet demand. They are probably more damaging to the environment than those light plastic bags we used to get. The smoking ban forced most pubs to introduce outdoor heaters. That's hundreds of thousands of extra heaters across the country. That's an environmental disaster. The bottles and cans return is just another tax. The government know that most people won't be bothered to return them, and we just end up paying 15 cent extra for them. And three or four more texts on the topic. I'll get back to them uh, a little later on. It's coming up on 28 minutes past 10 now. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And a change of topic now. Report has been published on the RTE Late Late Show fiasco by Grant Thornton. Uh, this report into RTE's toy show, The Musical, has found there was no written record uh, or is no written record of the RTE board ever granting its approval for the musical that amassed losses of somewhere near 2.27 million euro. Of course, with uh, other expenses now being added in there that have been identified by the report, it's approaching 2.3 million. And it also found the level of sponsorship may have been overstated. That's what's bringing it up to that figure. There's even a suggestion the show would have struggled to break even. And to discuss that is Fionn Sheehan, Ireland editor at the Irish Independent. Good morning, Fionn. Morning, Mick. Morning, how are you? Okay, ministers are standing by the RTE board here and the RTE chiefs who presided over the to- uh, toy show, the musical scandal. L- looking at it from a business perspective and from a boardroom perspective, uh, they kind of, they knew about it, but they didn't approve it. Yeah, there was kind of a cosy, comfortable, casual relationship between the management uh, and the board of RTE. And you had a major project like this 
that came with substantial risks uh, to the to the reputation of of RTE, to the brand of RTE, uh, and certainly to the finances uh, of RTE. And yet, at no point was there formal official sign-offs uh, taken by the board. There was no formal decision put to it where they were they, they were saying, "Right, we were going along with this project." We've Assessed, uh, assessed it, uh, the figures attached, uh, looked at any risks, and we're happy that we would proceed with this. Instead of just kind of proceed, plowed along, and the in line with the policy uh, of RTE to kind of explain, explore new areas of funding, and you know, it got so far <laughs> down the line that it became too late. Yeah, you know, the, the hottest ticket in Ireland for a child, of course, is is to get a ticket for the for the toy show. Of course, you've got to be chaperoned. So one ticket probably has, you know, that's four bums on seats. It's probably two kids and, and, and two parents. Hottest ticket in the country. How do they translate this into a perceived demand that would keep a show running into profit? Uh, it, it had a huge break-even cost in the first place. Uh, were, were the board, as RT in general, insulated from the commercial realities of the outside world? It, it, it would appear they they were of the view that the Late Late Toy Show is, is such a, a popular... Uh, event, uh, it, it kind of a, a national event that, that every family in the country with, with young children is, is uh, aware of. It is consistently the most uh, watched, or one of the most watched uh, programs on uh, television in Ireland every year. So they're basically trying to convert that into something that would ma- would make uh, would make money into an event of some sort. I mean that that could have been you know that that could have been a, a showcase of of toys or some other form of performance or something like like that. Ultimately, they latched on to this idea of of a musical that would be based around the the concept uh, of the toy show and would be art uh, uh, RTE branded and would have the words uh, toy show uh, included uh, in it and. And it would appear that this was greeted very enthusiastically uh, by everybody within the management and the board of RTE. The, the, the senior producers within the organisation uh, were assigned to, to, to work on this uh, project. Senior figures at a management level were, were overseeing it, uh, going right up to the, the Director General. Uh, and it was coming up at various board meetings. And, and there isn't a record at board meetings of serious questions being asked about the finance uh, or the risks and or the, the, the difficulties that attached to it. Uh, instead, members of the board are, are congratulating the, the management uh, on the toy show. They are uh, welcoming the, the initiative and, and broadly speaking, they're going along with it. I mean, and, and this is not somebody else's version of, of events. This is actually portrayed in the minutes of the board meeting, which is the board's own meeting, so they can they can yeah. present uh, what was happening at that at that uh, meeting in in their own way. I mean, very often in in, in minutes of, of meetings, it's the people who are putting them together who reflect what's important, and th- there is uh, no record here of any serious questions being asked. And what compunction do you think they have to go into the outside world, as it were, and, and generate revenue? They're, they're a subsidised uh, organisation, state broadcaster, um, and, and they're constantly going cap in hand to the government for more funding while paying out some of the top wages in the country for essentially part-time work. 
Um, and like I, I'm trying to put a finger on this. There are hundreds of thousands of children who apply for the uh, for the toy show or would love to be there. And if they're not there, where are they going to be? 100% of them are going to be in front of the TV with their parents, ringing in Christmas, getting up the Christmas tree that day. And the whole ethos of the toy show is the surprise of what's coming on, the fact that the whole of Ireland is in it together. How does that translate into any perceived desire to fill a theatre over and over again showing toys? Yeah, I mean... It wasn't even showing toys, and it didn't even. Uh, it wasn't even a showcase for for toys or anything like that. Uh, it was a, a concept based around uh, the, the brand. I mean, uh, so that's that, that basically what they were latched onto because yeah. they were looking to generate funding. Because, as you say, they are constantly complaining about their their financial position. They are constantly going cap in hand to government. So there was pressure back being put back on them to improve their own revenue streams beyond just bringing in uh, advertising on, on TV and radio and events that had the RTE name attached to it where we're seen to be a winner. Yeah, OK. Let's get to the Grant Thornton report. You've had the uh, the ability to read it read it now. Is there any salient details there we haven't heard yet? And there's, there's a few uh, interesting things. I mean, such as, for, for example, you know, in terms of nobody shouted stop, nobody raised any red flags, no alarm bells went off. There was uh, an account from a, a staff member who, around about the time that this uh, project was being launched, um, around the spring of, of 2022, could see that the ticket sales were, were poor, uh, that it wasn't capturing the, the imagination. And usually when an event like that is launched, the, the, the ticket sales that you get in the opening days are, are, are quite crucial. Uh, so this person actually raised it with, with a colleague, you know, should we pull the plug? Here is, is it is it trying to pull pull back uh, from from this uh, cut your losses and the answer back was no the, the, you know we, we were too far down the, down the track now and it, it's going ahead uh, regardless so that that seems to be the only uh, sign of of genuine concern about how this uh, this event was was progressing. There's also variations between what was what the board were told. Uh, and what was the reality of, of the position? It would appear that, that different sets of figures were given to the board uh, or, or the management, and the ones that were given to the board were more were more generous and looked more more favourable in terms of the, the financial position for uh, this, this musical. There's also towards the, the, the tail end. There's a there's a fascinating tale where, basically, uh, because ultimately at the start of of last year it was quite clear that this thing had been a bomb. Uh, it had completely flopped uh, at the box office. They'd only sold about one in nine of the tickets that they had they'd said they were going to. There were cancelled performances. COVID had intervened. They they ended up with in, in a really bad uh, position. Everybody knew it. And uh, as the, the accounts uh, for the musical were being put together, somebody decided to take take 75 grand worth of TV advertising money out of an account in RTE and put it into the Toy Show, the musical account, in order to dress up the figures and... Yeah. and Make it look like the, the 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 musical had had made more in terms of sponsorship. So that's what 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 was what was turned up here. There was also other costs 
uh, associated that weren't included. So we ended up at the start of yesterday morning, the losses from from this musical to the, to the license fee pair were two point two uh, million euros, and by the end of the day, it was two point three million euros. So uh, there, there's quite the this, this the, questionable the accounting practice, uh, Fionn. This questionable mm. accounting practice. Uh, I mean, on, on, on a sample of two now. We, we have it in the, in, in the Ryan Tuberty debacle where the special account was used in very much the same manner. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we saw it with uh, the, the Ryan Tuberty saga where, where again, money was being moved around uh, or, or, or disguised basically as, as, as something different and being run to a, a barter account. Uh, which you know was was, was a, a, a very unusual uh, and non-conventional way of of treating uh, a, a payment. So you know we're seeing it again now that that basically the the, 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 the management of the finances within RTE uh, were not up to scratch and were, were not in line with what you would regard as, as acceptable standards for what is a commercial semi-state company that is supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, ascribing to all the rules and regulations that are out there. Yeah, it's supposed to be subscribing to a higher standard, I would say. Mm. Uh, the, the chair of uh, RTE, of the board, Shunei Rahalik, uh, says that uh, there was every confidence the board members, uh, and, and still they have collective responsibility, and they're brilliant at what they do. Uh, we're going to keep them on. Uh, but then she said the commercial risks associated with an undertaking of this nature were grossly underestimated, to which the Taoiseach uh, had a response. To me, he said, accountability is people being asked to explain their actions, explain their thinking, explain their decision making. Meanwhile, the main instigator of the project, has, uh, whose name has not been linked to it in public, uh, is not identified. And Paul Jacobs from Grant Thornton says, having met a large number of individuals, I've taken from those meetings that an overwhelming view which emerges is that in their own opi- opinion, the project, Toy Show the Musical, was a fait accompli. What he's saying there is that the tail was allowed to wag the dog. Yeah, and and the curious thing now is that uh, basically the members of the board, there there are five people on the board of RTE now who were on the board of RTE then, two years ago, who this report shows did not raise red flags, did not question uh, issues that that were arising. The board itself, through its chair, is admitting that there were failings in that regard. There were serious uh, inadequacies. There was a failure to in- interrogate decisions properly. And that this uh, project should have got board approval. It wasn't sought, but nor was it asked for by the board and that this was the board's role. The board's, the board's response is, is basically, well, it was just presented to us and nobody asked us uh, for our opinion uh, on, on, on such matters. So the question has arisen. It has been basically expressed by a number of coalition backbenchers and opposition party TDs. How can we have confidence in these people going forward when they were the ones who were in place uh, and presided over this debacle? And meanwhile, the chair of RTE is saying, well, lessons have been learned and procedures have been put in place so this type of thing can't happen again. Uh, the Taoiseach says you don't get accountability by, by sacking people. 
and uh, the, the Minister for the Media is saying that she is standing by them uh, and she has confidence in them for now and that there are other reports coming down the track. So there are basically no consequences for the individuals who were on the board at that time and they remain on the board now and meanwhile people are getting letters in the post today yeah. asking them to pay their, their television licence for next year. And, and that's the irony of everything is, is that you know, you're threatened with legal action unless you pay your subscription to this absolute chicanery. Yeah, well, I mean, therein lies the difficulty. Uh, we know that that RT are going to be down about sixty million between this year and last year on licence fee payments on foot of people basically saying, "Well, I'm not paying my, my TV licence for whatever the reason may be." Maybe they've just decided they don't see the point. Maybe they've just decided, "Well, this is an opportunity to to to, to not not pay," or they're disgusted about what going on in the organisation. So that, that's a problem uh, for RTE because that is having a, a direct impact on them and it means at the end they have to go back to government and, and take uh, funding and they have to implement uh, cutbacks. So public confidence in RTE doesn't just matter from 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 theoretical point of view, it does actually matter on a daily basis in terms of people paying their, their licence fees. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you do have to wonder, yeah. you know, how exactly this is going to impact. I mean, Brendan, Brendan Griffin, uh, the Fine Gael said, you know, the two million quid is basically the, the equivalent of, of two large towns, the amount of license fee revenue you, you collect from two big towns like Chile and Killarney, so I suppose the, the equivalent would be you know, Fermoy and Mellor or Bandon uh, and Slanakilty and in Cork and you know you could say the same thing and add another town on top of that I mean the, the losses from Toysia the musical are now 2.3 million but now we're, you're left thinking well are there going to be further losses because there'll be just more people saying I don't see the point in paying my TV licence this is the kind of thing that's going on and nobody's been held accountable uh, Any promoter in the country I have one coming into studio actually in, in, in the next hour would tell you if, if, if you need an 80% ticket sale to break even it's probably not a 10 project. Uh, one final question for you, Nolan. Why would you think that so many in the upper echelons of RTE are offered the Harry Potter cloak of invisibility um, when it comes to these type of reports? There are certain elements here, names and, and, and senior officials redacted by Grant Thornton. Um, why are they offered this protection? Well, everybody is, is redacted uh, basically. Um, so that's uh, Grant Thornton's response and the RTE response on this is that the natural justice and they wanted people to cooperate with this investigation uh, and so on. Uh, so that there is a, you know, that's they're basically saying if we start naming people then people won't fully cooperate or people will be objecting to uh, being named. They, they didn't get everyone... Um, Everyone cooperated. They didn't get everybody participating in this investigation. By the way, D. Forbes, the former director general, who would obviously have a large body of knowledge uh, on this this matter, as the head of the organisation, uh, she's ill. She's been un- unavailable to a ruckus committee last year because of her illness. She says, and as a result, she wasn't able to participate in this investigation uh, either. But everybody else just has a, a number, and we don't know who these people are. Okay, Uh, it's an intriguing report. It's uh, an article in uh, today's Irish Independent, uh, written by yourself and Senna Maloney. And I won't even try to uh, (laughs) to pronounce the name of your third. uh, Gabby Agatha-Viscosa, yeah, um, <laughs> from, from, from Roscommon, parents originally from uh, Lithuania, so the, the, the great... Uh, Gabby Agatha-Viscosa, yeah. okay. Yeah, 
All right. All right. It, it sounds like a tennis player that Rory would be calling out on sports, but by our best wishes to her. And well done, Fionnán. Okay. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you. Finan Shane there, Ireland editor, Irish Independent. Call Neil now. 0818-104-106. Now then, some strange noises in the city last night. Cork Safety Alerts put up a publication on social media. We're receiving reports of a loud screeching type noise in Cork City currently. Can you hear this where you are? Can anyone shed light on the source of it? I think we may be able to now with Vince Cashman, uh, manager of the Cork Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Hi, Vince. Good morning, Mick. It's fox mating season, and that's the reason for the screeches, is it? Correct. Uh, the vixens are calling now at the moment. And as, as I said, it's, it's mating season for foxes, so that's what's going on at the moment. Now, if you hear that screeching in the middle of June... I would probably be contacting the Gardaí, but it's, um, <laughs> at this time of the year, it's foxes. Okay, so don't be worried if you hear something like this. It's a bit spooky, all right, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, it, it, it can go on for quite a while, and it's just the, the females attracting the males into their, into their, into their territory as such. Okay, uh, and as you say, they breed only once a year. Um, that's most mating occurring in, in January, maybe early February. And these are courting foxes. So the vixen is calling for a partner, is that right? Right. Yes. Yep. Okay. How, how, um, how, 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 what's the gestation period for, for, for cubs? Is it. Uh... Oh, for, for, for cubs, Mick, I think it's nine weeks. Nine weeks, okay. And, and, and they're often chocolate brown when they're born, aren't they? They're chocolate brown when they're born, just the reddish colour then appears when they start to get older. All right. And um, so how would these be in the city? I mean, they're normally very, very wary of of habitation and and humans. And I know that wheelie bins have caused them to be foraging in gardens, etc., because there's no food being thrown out out anymore as, you know, um, degradable, uh, biodegradable food would have been thrown out a lot more before the advent of the wheelie bin. But I never thought we'd see them or hear them in the city. They've been in the city for years, Mick. Um, the more we encroach as well out into the countryside, the, the foxes evolved, I suppose, or, or developed um, a knack for bins. Um, we've provided, you, you still have gardens, they would say under decking, they would have dens under decking or earths under decking, under sheds. Um, you still have, um, we'll say, parks and big old gardens in the city where um, they will have their dens, they will, have, they will uh, birth their cubs. I mean, we'll we get calls from May, June time onwards where you, you get the, the vixens out playing with the cubs and people want them shifted from their gardens. Normally, the fox will cause no damage as such, uh, rear their cubs, and then the, the cubs will move on themselves. You may see the vixens still around or the dog fox still around. Are, are um, foxes dangerous, Vince? No, they're not. The problem with foxes is the more people see them, and it's with, with any wild animal as such, they will come along and they will start feeding them and they'll start photographing them. And then we, you get people out there trying to hand feed them. And that's where you have the problems. So if you get used to, or the fox gets used to getting its food at 7 o'clock in your garden, then you'll back, see the yeah. fox is right. He's going to come back, right? And the problem is then if they, if they see human out there, they do get used to humans, but they will associate the human with food. If the human isn't giving them food, 
they may encroach a bit closer. Normally they don't snap. You get a very rare occasion where they do, but it's, it's, it's normally, it's, it's few and far between. But they will come close and people do get okay. frightened because of it. And normally a, they'll stay away from you. And from as early as four weeks, the Cubs fight quite viciously apparently, sometimes even to the death. Uh, and that way they establish their social position. They don't live long either, do they? No. I mean, a, a fox, once he gets to about five, he would be very, very elderly. Okay. Be quite elderly. That's down to um, ordinarily, if they're out there, they'd, they would have to live off carrion or whatever they could catch themselves. All right, Vince. I've got to go for news at 11, but thank you very much for shedding light on that. And if you hear this, don't worry. Thank you, Vince. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Now, it's always good when uh, something good is recognised, something heroic or something brave. And four, four pupils from Mitchellstown, uh, from Dlenahulla National School and from Kildare National School are being acknowledged by emergency services tomorrow uh, uh, in the school at a special ceremony at 10am. Uh, we have uh, on line two, we have, uh, we have the principal on line one, do we? Uh, line one, I beg your pardon. Okay, we on line two we have Luke Walsh. Uh, good morning, Luke. Hi. Okay, this this all happened very quickly, didn't it? Uh, you you guys, um, you you guys were out and you saw someone who needed assistance. Yeah. Uh, and and tell us all about that. So we are pushing we're pushing our bikes up one of the trails in the Ballyharrows skyline and we were going around the turn and we saw a, a man going down the trail so we watched him go over the jump and then he went over the handlebars so we dropped our bikes and we ran straight down to him and then he, he was unconscious so Joe called um, 999 but they wouldn't answer so I got the phone and I called my mum then and she said just ring him again and see so Joe kept ringing him and they said sprinkle water over and check his, like his pulse and stuff so I went down to the bottom of the trail then to get other people to come up and I met a fellow walking up the trail as well so he went up and at that stage Kieran found two people going down the trail so they went down and helped as well and then a few minutes later then the air ambulance and all the ambulance started arriving so I directed them up and Kieran and me helped them bring up all the machinery up to the Evan and then that's Really wow. is. And then afterwards. That's a that's a busy half hour or hour or so. Pat McCarthy's from the air ambulance. Hi, Pat. Hi. How are we keeping? Could have been very serious without the lads' involvement, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, like things that don't be seen is that Evan, who had sustained a head injury on the day in question, <clears throat> like when Evan came around, it, that he very easily could have got back in the bike, um, travelled back to his car, and drove home. Evan has no recollection for four days of the event even still today, has no recollection. And it's just a swift response. And even the actions carried out by the four young lads, um, you know, they sprinkled water from his water bottle on his face. They put a coat underneath him. They took their jackets off and kept them warm. It was Baltic. It was freezing cold up there, you know. So, so their intervention was, was timely and most, <coughs> most important. Uh, Luke, th- Absolutely. Luke th- thanks for representing the, 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 the other guys. We're going to wish you all the very best tomorrow. Um, uh, but right now I want to talk to the person who was the recipient of that kindness and that very quick action. And that is uh, Evan Mahan. Hi, Evan. Uh, hello. What, what do you remember? Uh, nothing. I, uh, nothing. I really don't. Uh, like the today was the first day I met with the boys, and they're actually filling me in. 
on us, remember. Uh, so that's exactly it. And if it wasn't for the noise, like I'm sure, or that was that I got in my car and driven home. Yeah, a very bad line, Evan. Could you could, could you move slightly there so we can, we can? I'm only getting every second word there. Uh, I, I'll go back to Pat while while you're moving there. Uh, you, you guys were busy. To, how, how did the story pan out in the end? So it, it was very good. It was actually quite good in the end. Um, we flew Evan um, to Bishop Sound J, uh, where he was uh, brought in by uh, ambulance CUH. He was an inpatient for four days, um, where he was basically monitored. He, like and at the time in question, he wouldn't have known his surname. He didn't know what day of the week it was. He didn't know what month it was. But thankfully, after a few days um, in hospital, he recovered quite well. Okay, so all's well that ends well. Evan, is he on a better place there now? Uh, hopefully. Oh, that's that's that, that's much better. So you, you were finally able to meet those who were participants in your rescue. Uh, I, yeah, I met, I met with the four four boys today, and they filled me in on everything that happened, and even how I came to the accident and how they responded. Uh, I couldn't believe their bravery. I couldn't imagine myself keeping a level head at their age. Anyways, if I came across, what, what's the uh, average age like there? That. Are they all the same age? Uh, Twelve. Twelve. The average age. Uh, so nine, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Well, the parents, I think, can be uh, justifiably proud of them for everything they've done. Uh, not least of all, keeping a cool head and knowing what to do. Certainly, yeah, exactly. Like I said, it was important that they kept the cool head, and how they reacted immediately was amazing. I am, I am forever grateful for the four boys here. Okay, friends for life. Yeah, friends for life, definitely. <laughs> well, all the very best with the ceremony tomorrow. Evan Mahan saved by the uh, the four boys. Pat McCarthy for all your efforts with the air ambulance. And Luke Walsh and uh, the uh, the Bobby and Jack Walsh as well. And Kieran and Joe uh, Gallagher recently on the biking trail in uh, Ballyhara. Did everything right. And it's great to have a happy ending. Good morning, gents. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks, cheers. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Top of the morning to you from the Neil Prendeville Show. Mick Mulcahy on my final day before Neil's return. 16 and a half minutes past 11. We like to lighten things up a little on a Friday because we get through some very serious topics here uh, during the week. And uh, we will, as normal, finish with uh, a musical interlude at the very end. But until then, it's not really a light topic. It's a very serious one, but not often... Uh, do we have the person who's going to sing the song spend a half an hour with me beforehand uh, in an interview and she is here with her mum so uh, welcome Kaylee Cullinan uh, sorry it'd be handy if I put your Thanks microphone Megan up for having me. And, and your mum is here Cathy as well hi Mike Okay, we're here to talk about a serious topic. We've touched on it during the week on a few occasions. We had a gentleman yesterday who was the victim of bullying and uh, told me that to this day uh, he is scarred mentally physically and psychologically and continuing to de- depend on heavy medication. Yours has a slightly happier ending. Uh, and I also read an article yesterday where Jeremy Clarkson said his life wouldn't have turned out so good if he hadn't been bullied. And, and that's probably these stories are the exception to the, ru- to the mm-hmm. rule. In your case, happily, uh, you have that slightly sadness-tinged happier ending. Life was normal up to the age of 14. Loving household gregarious mum, I know your mum and I know she's got a loving and caring gentle soul so life was pretty normal up to the beginning of the bullying. Oh 100% um, I think for me I had the same childhood as a lot of, of kids do you know, we enjoyed life and I was a happy bubbly kid and I enjoyed school, I enjoyed extracurricular activities and yeah I was 
normal. <laughs> okay. So tell me how it started. Um, so I started off, I suppose, I don't want to say mild bullying because to me there is no such thing as mild bullying, but the milder side of my story. Um, I started off with being called names. Um, my nickname at the time was Whaley because I had put on weight and I was the bigger girl of Kaylee my Whaley. group. Yep, that was, that was me. Um, it gradually got worse and eventually it got to the point where I couldn't leave my house. I was afraid to leave my house if I was, you know, taunted and called names and just made feel like I didn't belong or I didn't deserve to enjoy my life and I didn't enjoy, I didn't get to enjoy living. So while all bullying is horrendous, it obviously started verbally before it got physical. Yeah, yeah. It started off with name calling, with, you know, personal attacks on me, on my family, and just generally just nice, not nice things being said to me. Mm. One of our callers yesterday said that uh, for too long he kept it from his parents. I would have to agree. Mm. Um, I think... I hid it an awful lot. Um, and then it got to a point where I just couldn't take anymore. Um, you know, it, it got to the point where my sister and my dog couldn't be in our back garden because things would be thrown into the back garden from the laneway behind our house. Um, you know, glass bottles, boots, anything that they could find was thrown over that wall. My poor dog was in the vet twice because of glass and... I was petrified that my sister was going to get hit with something, so I just... Yeah, well, that's visible signs of intimidation. Cathy, as, as a mum, were you starting to see that this uh, problem existed? No, I had absolutely no idea until she came to me one day and said, uh, Mum, I have a problem, and she told me what had been happening. And she said a lot of it had been on text messages. So I said, well, I said, let me have a look at your phone. And she showed me her phone and the last message is embedded in my mind. And I've taken out some of the words in it, but it basically said, if I ever see you outside again, you big fat blank, um, I'm going to blank kill you. And That's not the start of a problem. That's a huge no, problem. No, no. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the, the ream of text that had been sent. And I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I had absolutely no idea that she was in this frame of mind. So, um, first of all, I had to kind of sit down and say, okay, first of all, we're going to deal with this. We are going to deal with it. And I said, I just need to process how we're going to deal with it. So she arranged to go to her friend's house to get her friend's pyjamas and come home. They were going to walk around. And I knew she was afraid to go outside. And she said, because they've been calling her names. And um, and I knew a lot of these kids um, because they were from, from the area. Um, and I said to her, okay, go get your pyjamas and come home. We'll have a, a movie night and we'll sit down because I was very angry and I needed time to process to figure out the best way to deal with this, to take on, to speak to the child, to go to the parents. I just need to figure out what to do. So, But I said to her going out, if you go out there and if they start taunting you or saying anything to you, don't let them see that it is affecting you. Mm-hmm. Don't cry don't let it hurt you just just keep walking and walk away okay and, and that that was the fateful day of course which we'll return to mm. uh, in a moment but just up to then w- w- would you figure uh, Kaylee, that 
girl and girl bullying can be a lot more vicious in its intent. Uh, there's bullying by exclusion, bullying by text, bullying by weight shaming or that kind of thing. I think bullying of either gender is horrific. Um, it tends to be more physical with guys though. 100%. I think guys will, you know, they'll have a little fight, they'll have a brawl, they'll punch each other, they'll do what they want to do and then generally it's done. Um, you know, there's odd cases but I feel like girls they take it to another level. They get very, very personal. They try and get in under your skin. They try and make sure that what they say to you or what they do to you sticks with you and it never leaves you. You know, they they put that into your brain and it never leaves. Um, so I think... I think there's pros and cons to either side. <laughs> and did it, did it shatter your self-confidence? I didn't have confidence. I... I remember thinking to myself that I didn't want to be here. I didn't like I didn't feel like a like a human being. I didn't feel like I deserved my life. Just get, get um, a bit closer to the mic there, yeah. You know, and I think I was in that place for a very long time. Um where I just felt like I should give up. And okay. I I didn't see I didn't have any self worth whatsoever. I just I felt like I existed and was taking up space. So we're up to the go get your pyjamas night, but that's the fateful night. But Mm -hmm. this seems to be a very long and protracted process before that. Yeah. Uh, And and you were completely oblivious, Cathy, until... I, I, I didn't see the signs. I didn't... She was a very, very happy, outgoing, smiley, you know, girl, um... But I just, I, I look back on it often to see, did I see the signs? And I didn't. You know, okay. I just didn't see anything wrong. I know it, from having talked to Kaylee afterwards that I suppose she was trying to protect me by not telling me. Um, and I think a lot of kids, and they're embarrassed. You know, they don't want to, to share messages, you know, talking about their weight. You know, what a lot of people didn't realise that Katie was actually had been had been sick for, for a while and had been on antibiotics for a long time and for, for a year previous. So she couldn't do any sports and she had to be a little bit careful of her health for a short space, well, for a year, um, which is why she'd put on weight. Those kids didn't know that. You know, they didn't mm. know it was a medical issue that she had, but it shouldn't have made any difference. You know, I mean, you know, kids put on weight. It's not a bit, and when I say put on weight, like she went to a size 12, you know, she was only a kid. Um, so, you know, but no, I didn't, I saw nothing and it, you know, I don't think it would have made any difference to what happened only. I would have known earlier. Um, and I would have been able to support her earlier. And were Um, you manufacturing that little bit of happiness, that little bit of confidence around the house as a kind of facade to protect your mum? I think for me, I, from very, very young, I saw how hard my mum worked and I saw how hard she worked to give us the best life that she possibly could. So for me, telling her these things was going to add to everything that she already had going on. So I continued to kind of be the happy kid and things like that until it got to a point where I just couldn't because I didn't, as she said, I didn't want to burden her with it. Mm. Yeah, now your your mum is a promoter and she's heavily heavily connected to the Mm -hmm. country music scene here in Ireland, manages various artists like Mm -hmm. like Mary Bourne. In that job, you've got to be hard-nosed. You've got to be tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're tough, Cathy. I yeah, well, I'd be I would be tough. I mean, obviously, we when it comes to your kids, but I think a lot of the problem is that 
I was actually because I um, we I had left their father and brought them back to live in Dublin, and it was a single parent that had to provide for my kids myself on my own. So I was working and bringing up three small kids at mm-hmm. the same time, and my priorities were to feed the family, get out and do some work. I was working nights, getting the kids to school, into crash, um, doing all that sort of stuff. I was That's some juggle because your your work involves a lot of travel around the country. A huge and amount of travel. And I get home at four o'clock in the morning and have to have the kids in school, you know, up and, and gone, eight mm-hmm. o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so I, maybe I was distracted, maybe I didn't see it. But, mm. but when I look back on, and I have looked back an awful lot, I just still didn't see any of the signs. Okay, let's get to the fateful evening, the pyjamas and the sleepover. Will you take it from here, Kayleigh? Yes, so as Mum said, I was going to have a friend stay with me that night and we decided to walk to our house. I was a bit more comfortable with it because I had her here. Um, I knew that I was going to be walking with somebody, so... I was a little bit more comfortable with going out. But you were braving them as well. Your mum told mm. you, go, don't let them beat you. Yeah. You know, men, you know, don't let them beat you in the situation is what I mean. And yeah. You're, you're going to pass them. You know something is going to happen. I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to see them, but I knew the route in which I was ah, going to take okay. was their area. And lo and behold. Um, and lo and behold is right. Um, so walking to my friend's house, um... All of a sudden, there was a couple of the guys from this group, a couple of the the teenagers, we'll call them, um, from the group were there and they started with their name calling, with their, you know, taunts, their, their abuse, if you will. Um, and like my mum said, I kept walking. I said nothing, kept walking with my friend. We got to the top of the road and um, I had my hair in a very high ponytail and I felt a yank from that ponytail that was followed very quickly by a punch into the face. From behind? Yeah, well I was grabbed from behind and a punch Punch straight into the face. Um, That was where it started. If I tried to push her off me she'd bite up my arms Um, I was kicked punched bitten slapped Um, but as I say to everybody the worst part about it was seeing everybody else there was 14 people there that night that stood there and jeered her on to do what she was doing not one person decided to say hang on a second this is not right and they did it yeah, and video yeah. it. I know how tough it is for you to sit here and talk publicly about this. And I can see you, Cathy, putting your hand on, on her shoulder mm-hmm. and comfort her now and, now and again. Okay, it, do you want to describe the injuries? Because they were pretty severe. Um, I found out, after the attack, I started noticing dots in my eyes. I started noticing flashing lights. Um, my focus was gone my train of thought I just I couldn't pardon the pun but I couldn't see straight and I said it to my mum my mum had said it could be that you're stressed there's a lot going on I was sitting my junior cert at the time Um, so she booked me in to speak to somebody about everything that was going on and 
start me on that road to kind of getting my mental health back together. And <clears throat> I said to my mom after a couple of weeks again, I said, Mom, I said, my eyes still aren't right. I said, I'm still seeing these dots. I'm still seeing the lights. And um, she brought me to the optician. Huh? And they brought me in and was doing a standard eye test. Did my left eye perfect. I always had 20-20 vision. Left eye was perfect. And I'm sitting there and she says, okay, we'll do the right eye. So she puts the glasses things on me and she says, okay, read the board. And I said, no, you need to lift the plastic flap. And she says, yeah, it's lifted. I said, I can't see anything. And she took, it was my nan that was was with me at the time. And she took my nan outside. And I don't know still to this day what she said to my nan. Well, she just told her that she needed that she needed to go to hospital like straight away, um, down to the eye and ear. So, um, we we brought her straight down, and the the doctor asked, you know, he said this injury is I think it was three weeks old at that stage or four weeks old, and he said what happened four weeks ago, and um, I told him, and um, we well we myself and the doctor had had words because he kind of his attitude well he said at the time you know, sure, a big girl like you, why didn't you fight back? Oh, yeah. So I told him in no uncertain terms why she didn't fight back and um, she wasn't brought up that way. But but look, we had our dispute, but he was he was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant eye surgeon. Mm-hmm. And as the nurses said to me afterwards, he mightn't have the best uh, bedside, bedside manner, but I wouldn't want anybody else to operate <laughs> on my child. Yeah. So um, they became good friends after yeah. that. But he... Um, that he was the Wednesday and the Thursday morning I was in surgery. Surgery, yeah. Um, not, not just one surgery for your eye? No, in total now I've had... To, uh, 13. Uh, 13, 13. 13 surgeries. 13. These are agonising eye surgeries. You've had, and I can't believe this because you look completely normal to me, two partial eye transplants. Yeah. Two partial eye transplants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Well, unfortunately, it was never, from, from day one, we were told, this was never going to bring back her sight. The yeah. sight was gone and it would not be coming back. I think mm-hmm. she's about 5 or 10%, but whatever she has is damaged so it's probably even worse than if there was nothing because she would see dots and lines in her eyes mm-hmm. um, but um, they, they tried I mean to be honest with you, they tried so hard it's more to save the eye because technology will come on and, and hopefully you know in Katie's lifetime you know they'll figure out a way of replacing retinas and making it all better so they they did really do everything they possibly could yeah um so you spend months in recovery and that that, that itself is not just yeah wearing a patch on your eye or anything like that no the tell after, me how hard the it aftermath was. of the surgery um you go in you have the surgery done and afterwards you obviously have an eye patch and stuff like that but i suppose the biggest thing is is that you have to posture so I had to lay face down for 23 hours a day. Um, I was allowed up for five minutes every hour. And that was to use the bathroom, to eat, to have a drink. But it was five minutes. I had a timer and then five minutes I had to lie back down again. Um, after the first surgery, I did it for, I think it was three weeks, the first surgery. Went back in for my appointment and they said, no, it hasn't worked. So went back in for surgery came out 
and postured again for five weeks the next time. And That's 23 hours a day, face down, no reading, no TV. No, no nothing, just... That's like an eternity, I'd say. It, it felt like forever. Every hour feels like forever. Um, until, I suppose, my mum came in and gave me an iPod and I just switched off. And listened to your music and began yeah. to sing softly into your pillow. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll impose on your vocal cords uh, shor- shortly. <laughs> but I just want to go back to Cathy. You, you said you knew many of these kids. Were there any retributions? Well, <clears throat> I knew the kids and, and I was friends with, with... There was the main attacker, we'll, we'll call her. Um, I was friends with her mother. We had, to, we had done things with the kids, um, shows and, and stuff. We had, we had done some stuff with them. So, so I knew her. Um, I did call in that night, but I was exceptionally angry the night of the attack. Um, so she said, look, at she said, go home. She said, call back tomorrow. We'll have a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it. So when I went back the next morning, we're sitting down, we're having a cup of coffee. And I said, look, I said, there's two sides to every story. I said, I know Kaylee's side. And I said, but I said, I don't know the other girl's side. You know, I said, is there a reason why she did it? Is there a reason? Did Kaylee do something on her to make her feel this angry towards her? Um, and she said, no, should I spoke to her? And she said, look, she just flipped. They were her words. She just flipped. And I said, OK, I said, and what about the text messages? That, you know, it wasn't just a one-off, yeah. you know, impulsive thing. This has been going on for a long time. And you've written proof. Yeah, and I, I had Kaylee's phone with me and I showed her the, um, the text and she said, well, she said, how do you know she sent them? And I said, well, is that her phone number? And she said, yeah, but she said, that's no... That could proof, have been anyone. You know, that... that um, um, and I said, look, I said, you know, I'm not after making this up, you know. I said, but I said, I'm just trying to figure out why. Um, and, I mean, her words were, she said, look, Kathy, you know what kids are like these days. You know, they just... Uh, these things happen. Mm. And when she said the words, these things happen, you know, at that point... I Just said, brush it off, yeah. Yeah, and I did speak to the guards and they did They did speak to some of the kids and they said to me basically that because they were under 16, that at worst they'd get a, a, a JLO, the juvenile liaison letter, and it, the guards' words to me, they'll walk out of the court or they'll walk out of the guard the station and give you the two fingers and walk away. Well, let's not um, give them any more oxygen, shall we? Just just one horrendous thing they did, and you told me this personally, hmm. uh, about a tune they were humming yeah. behind you. Yeah, we were... I want to upset you now, but it, I think it's worth yeah, for the no, listeners we were, hearing this. You see, the, the problem that I have always had and still have is that none of these have any remorse. You know, there's there's 12, 14 kids out there and not one of them has ever, you know, shown any remorse. And and I know after Katie's story became known that, that they, they would have been aware, it was in the papers, it was on, on the TVs, they would have been aware that how important the word sorry is. And I said in, in interviews before, you know, even if the word sorry is written on a piece of paper and put through the door, that's closure. You know, even anonymously, yeah. 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 Um so we were in she was after having one of her operations and afterwards she had to wear black glasses, you know, that like the blind glasses, mm-hmm. um, to protect her eye. And um we were in a shop and I have to hold on to her arm because she can't see where she's going. And we're standing there and I could feel her tense and I was aware that there was kids behind us and that something wasn't right, but I could hear them humming. And um, 
next of all, the penny drop of the song that they are humming is Three Blind Mice. And when I turned around and looked and saw that it was it was three of, of those kids, my blood just boiled. And it's, it's one of... I've had serious issues with coming to terms with all this, with, you know, there's so many people have said, and I see it written up online, where they say, well, you know, I'd knock the head off those kids or I'd, you know, I'd want them or get my own What can you do? And and there they are in front of you. You're with your child and and they're taunting your child again and you're there. Yeah, and the guards told me the, the night, you know, because he could see my anger. And he said, you know, he said, if you touch one of those children, you will be convicted of child abuse. And he said, you will go down for it. He said, you'll be convicted and you'll be known as a child abuser. And... I mean, I'm. I don't put my hands on anybody. I'm just. I'm so. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I can fight with my words. I don't need to fight with my hands. And I hate anybody putting their hands on anybody else. But I'm conflicted for certainly two years with this constant waking up in the middle of the night, and all I want to do is attack those children in the most vicious well, they'd way. Well, they'd be grown ups now, wouldn't they? Well, they are now. But this was at the time. And you're trying to conflict with, with that being such a wrong thing to do with being unable to lose the feeling of wanting to just yeah. hammer the heads off those Unable kids. to rationalise why yeah. they yeah. attacked your precious darling. Yeah. That's the, that's the bullying side of the story. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for bringing that to our attention. And uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, let you get your breath, and we're going to look... Uh, towards the happier ending that is today. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Morning from the Neil Prenderville Show, 16 minutes to 12. I'm joined in studio by uh, Cathy and Kaylee Cullinan, mum and daughter. And we've gone through a very harrowing bullying story and I'd like to flesh out uh, some of the happier stuff, but I'm going to have to praise it myself here uh, because you really got into the music. You were untrained, you had no experience. Uh, You were brought to a recording studio on your 16th birthday as a treat and you recorded a song, Nella Fantasio. This kind of went out on YouTube. It went viral and your kind of music career had begun. And it's it's literally a tour de force. You you partook in a documentary being shown worldwide on MTV, which is called Bullied. You made your debut performance singing live on RT1 uh, on the Saturday night show. Uh, You performed a duet with Tommy Fleming. Uh, you were invited to perform for the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. And in 2015, you took part in The Voice of Ireland. How many chairs did you turn? All four. All four. <laughs> okay, you must have a hell of a voice, which we're going to find out uh, about in a moment. Uh, you also were invited to be a, a contestant on the RT, uh, TV show Celebrity Operation Transformation. And you've worked with Mary Byrne yeah. uh, of The X Factor 2010, whom I know your, your mum manages, uh, and sang a song from Les Miserables. And uh, we might get to that a little later on. Tell me about Don Meskel. Um, I suppose after the, the video went viral, um, we had a couple of songwriters um, interested in writing a song for me. And Don reached out and he wrote me a gorgeous song. He wrote two gorgeous songs for me, but this one in particular, I suppose it hits home for me um, it's called I Made a Wish and it's pretty much everything that I needed at that point in my life um, and he wrote it that night yeah 
Yeah, he did. Um, he sat there actually and played a few tunes for us not too long ago. Oh, really? He's uh, such a good guy. I I, I'm going to play this with, with the introduction that people who have listened to the bullying side of this interview should really listen to the content <laughs> and the character of the words of this song because mm-hmm. he wrote this for you. He couldn't get you out of his head yeah. uh, and, and the trauma you'd gone through. And uh, like Ed Sheeran would, you turn it into a song. Yeah. Uh, but it means so much to you. And if you listen to the words, folks, uh, I think you'll see what I mean. Uh, this is Kaylee Cullinan, and I made a wish. And by the way, she's singing it live in studio, just in case you think I'm playing a record. I made a wish. I clicked my heels, looked to the stars, and held on tight. So can't believe I've come this far. I closed my eyes and left the past so far behind. I found the strength to turn the next page of my life. I wish upon a single star. I ask of God to help me.
bet you none of the bullies can do that. <laughs> that was just incredible. Uh, I've heard the song before, almost with a tear in my eye when I heard it, knowing the, the story behind it. But just to see it done live is just absolutely incredible. That's a song that should be on a Disney movie, Frozen or The Greatest Showman or something. Thank it has all of those qualities. And well done to you. And, you. and well done to Don Meskel. So, like Jeremy Clarkson, I guess life has turned out a little better because of the bullying. That's not mm-hmm. to say or diminish the fact that it happened and it has left scars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But without that, you never have had that song. It's very true. I think for me, the thing that that I suppose I always say about my life is that the negative was one thing. It's how you react to the negative. So as much as you can from putting my energy into something else other than the negative moment in my life. That's what turned everything positive. Text coming in in, in massive support for you. Robert saying, well done to Kaylee, previous victim of bullying. Uh, he says, you're due every credit for not letting those bullies affect your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the hard side of this, i got to do it before, before I forget to do it, uh, is that if you've been triggered or affected by any of this conversation, that the Samaritans number uh, is 116-123. 116-123. Lovely girl. Uh, it's like she was being described being attacked by a vicious dog. Uh, I'd like to say that harrowing story, uh, but delighted to hear that uh, that song. Goosebumps, beautiful voice, says uh, Eilish. Oh my God, make that beautiful girl has the voice of an angel. I'm bowling here. I wish you well. You've worked with Mary Byrne. Your mum manages her. Yeah. Uh, and I know Mary, uh, the, the Tesco checkout girl who made good uh, on the stage with Simon Cowell. Mm-hmm. And she was on the same year as... Uh, as One Direction, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah. yeah. So she's got, she's a friend of the stars now, and a, and a star herself. As a tip of the cap to Mary Bourne, will we do will we do the song that she uh, that she started off and she wowed Simon Cowell with? Uh, and it was Piers Morgan as well, wasn't it? Piers no, Morgan. no. Uh, oh, Louis, Louis Simon, Simon, Sharon, and um, Danny, Danny Danny Minogue and um, Cher Lloyd. Okay, I should know that at the top of my. Will we do it? <laughs> yeah. Almost approaching the end of the uh, my run on the Neil Prendival show. What a way to play out. Here's I Dreamed a Dream.
two weeks ago I asked your mum <laughs> is there any chance you travel down from Dublin and tell us your story and uh, let us avail of your wonderful voice to borrow it for a few minutes it's been absolutely brilliant well done the texts that are coming in here people in tears uh, oh my god goosebumps all over uh, and, and that kind of thing what a voice what an end thank to the so story uh, as it were and thank you for coming down I believe you're going for lunch with a Cork man oh no Dublin man in Cork is it Dublin man in Cork yes yeah. Mr Joe Hayden yes <laughs> that's not Joe Hayden from IPS group is it? It is it certainly You're friends with him? Yes I am indeed And you were a, a woman of such good judgement yeah. up at <laughs> Oh my god okay uh, Guys thanks for coming down I know you have a long road back after lunch you're probably busy again tonight uh, Can people find you on Spotify? Yeah I can be found on Spotify it's uh, Kaylee Cullinan and my album is on there it's called Made a Wish um, and after that you can see me on the road I'm with a, a wedding band called Sax on Fire um, if you need a wedding <laughs> um, so yeah I'm definitely kept busy and yeah loving every minute of it Okay thanks for making the effort to travel safe home to you both uh, and it's been a remarkable end uh, to the two weeks very very busy two weeks for which my, I'm very grateful to the Neil Prendival Show production team and they are Famous Seamus Calvin Klein and chocolate eclair. Neil Prendival returns on Monday morning. Have yourselves a great weekend. This is Mick Mulcahy and I'll talk to you later in the year. When Cork talks, Cork people blow my mind. They talk to Neil Prendival on Red FM.